podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Friday, the 23rd of April, and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access American Netflix, keep your data safe. LibertyShield.com, use the code EPLVPN, you'll get 20% off at checkout. They have both software and hardware packages, libertyshield.com, EPL, VPN. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. It's a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk for all your giftware or homeware needs. Right, folks, one game last night. Leicester City 3, West Brom 0. A game that was, for all intents and purposes, Wrapped up by half time, Leicester raced into a, a, a you know a commanding lead uh, within 26 minutes. Jamie Vardy scoring for the first time in what seems like about two years, but I'm I'm led to believe it's only the first time this calendar year. A uh, really nice finish after good work by Yuri Thielemann set Timothy Castagnier free. Simple squared ball and a tidy finish by Vardy. Johnny Evans doubled the lead three minutes later with a powerful header from a corner. And that was kind of it. That was all she wrote, really. Uh, Kelechi Iheanacho would make it three after good work from Vardy down the left. Iheanacho's reconnaissance over the last... That's not the right word. Renaissance. is Renaissance is the word I'm looking for. Over the last cu- couple of months has been one of the great stories of this season for Leicester. Uh, a player that looked like he might have been a busted flush has really kicked on. And he's playing really well. And it's not just the goals. It's his all-round play. It's his understanding with Vardy. The fact that Brendan Rodgers is having to play two up front when he prefers to play with one striker and one off, the fact he's having to play with two up front is testament to how improved Iheanacho has been. He has been excellent this season. Credit to him. Credit to Rodgers as well, of course. But he's got 16 goals in all competitions this season in 32 games. Before this season, for Leicester, he'd only scored 20 goals across three seasons. So you see the development in him. He's likely going to score a couple more this season. His movement is excellent. His first touch is a dream. He has a sensational first touch. He's got quick feet. He can finish off both feet. His right foot still needs work. But when he gets things on his left foot and he connects properly, it is it's a joy to behold. You can see now the player that when he was coming through at Manchester City, people were so excited about. That first season with City, he scored 14 goals in all competitions. That was the 2015-16 season. Until then, he'd never beaten that season. Until now, rather, he'd never beaten that season. 
This season, he has beaten that season. It's taken him a while, but he's finally gotten there. He's still a young player. He's only 24, turns 25 later this year. But, I mean, he's only entering his prime. So he may well end up saving Leicester some money. They'll still need to find a replacement for Vardy, obviously. But it might be that they find a replacement for Vardy who can play up front with this guy. Because if he keeps playing like this, there'll be no dropping him. No dropping him at all. Disappointing from West Brom. Didn't feel like they showed up at all on the night. And they really could have been beaten five or six. Leicester had a couple of other good chances. Castagne hit the post. Ian Acho had, had a really good chance where he worked the defender and skied it off his right foot. Um, despite the hype and the nonsense around him, Sam Johnston was badly exposed in the night, shown to be a fairly mediocre goalkeeper. West Brom will get money for him this summer uh, too much, but he is from the Pickford land. He is not a goalkeeper that you want if you're a good team. I could see him ending up at a Crystal Palace or a West Ham and then being massively disappointed with him within two years. So he'd be one to avoid for me. West Brom as a whole, there's not much there that you would want. If you're a Premier League club looking to go scavenging this summer, I think Furlong has been solid, but I think he's more comfortable at championship level. O'Shea is a good player who can definitely play at Premier League level. If you're looking for a quality backup centre-back, maybe a fourth centre-back, he could be it. Barkley's a championship player. Townsend haven't been hugely impressed with. Doesn't strike me as a player who is going to be in the Premier League next season. Um, at 28, he has largely been a lower leagues player. And unfortunately for him, and, and not to disparage him, he's had a good career. I do think the lower leagues is more suited for him. He's The problem with him is he's undersized. He's undersized at left back. He's only like 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, Physically, he struggles to cope with the demands of the Premier League. Castanier ran all over him last night. And a lot of it was just pure physical power. So disappointing, but, you know, it is what it is. He, he'll have a solid career in the Championship. He could go to Scotland and play in the top league. But I think the Premier League is a step too far. As a backup, he'd be fine. But I don't, don't think there'd be much interest in him. Matty Phillips is a good player whose best days are probably a little bit behind him. Robinson on the other wing last night, good player, squad player at the Premier League level. I think if, if West Brom go down and they keep both of those two, they'll be happy with those two in the wide roles. Yakuzlu's looked a good player, but he's on loan. You don't know if you're getting full buy-in from him, especially a team he joined when they were you know, sailing towards the Championship. Maitland-Niles is a good player. He'll definitely have Premier League interest. Definitely have Premier League interest. And I think Yakuzlu will as well. If you're looking for a solid holding midfielder, Yakuzlu would be a good option for you. Uh, Diagne, he's got some good traits. He's still a little bit raw and rudimentary for me. Knows where the goal is for sure. But I think he's the type that would benefit from playing in a two. And I really don't understand why Carolyn Grant is sitting on the bench. You need to score goals. You're not going to survive being defensive, West Brom. Your defense is atrocious. You can't just sit in, bed in, and hope for the best when your defense is that bad. You need to start going for it and scoring goals. Why him and Carolyn Grant aren't starting together, I have no idea. I think Diagne would look a lot better as part of it too. 
Pereira is the real gem here. He, of the starting 11 from last night, he's the one that I think will have a lot of interest. I think Leicester could do with someone like him. I think if you look at Leeds, he'd be a fit there. Uh, in particular, if they do lose Rafinha. But if they keep Rafinha, Pereira can play left wing. Pereira could play in one of those central roles. The role that uh, Hernandez, Pablo Hernandez used to play before his, his injuries sort of took hold. Pereira is very versatile. I think he'd be a really good fit at Leeds. I'd take him at Liverpool if, Sha- if Shakiri is leaving. I think there's a bunch of clubs would have interest in him. And looking up and down the bench, Carolyn Grant, I think, will have interest, but he probably drops down with them. Dean Gana will definitely have interest. I'm not sure what he's done to offend Large Sam, but doesn't get a look in. Uh, Connor Gallagher will have interest. They obviously don't own him, but there will be Premier League clubs looking, looking to get hold of him for next season. And the rest of it is a bunch of lower league players. It just is. Um, I think Sam is doing a poor job. I know they've had a couple of wins recently, but I, I think Sam is doing a poor job. I don't think he's using the squad to um, to its best level. I certainly don't think there's any argument that with Dean Ghana and Grant in the team, instead of, say, Phillips and Robinson, that they wouldn't be more of a potent attacking threat. Um. Look, their failure to address their defence is why they're going down. 62 goals conceded this season, most in the league, four worse than Southampton, uh, six worse than Sheffield United. It's it's just not good enough. That's why they're going down. Um, they should have addressed it last summer. They didn't. They should have addressed it in January. They didn't. And they're going down because of it. Average goalkeeper, bad defence, equals championship. Unless you can score... 60 to 65 goals, you're going down. And they don't have it, unfortunately. They don't have it in attack. They might have had, they wouldn't have gotten that many, but they could have got to mid-40s maybe. They could have got to mid-40s. They could have carved out some results, but that defence has just been atrocious since day one. Um, Up next for West Brom, as they stare at life in the championship again, they've got Villa this weekend. Then they've got Wolves, Arsenal away, Liverpool at home, West Ham at home, and Leeds away. That is a very tough run-in. That's really tough. That's six six good teams, six hard games. Um, and then for Leicester, this is a big result because it opens back up a four-point gap between them and Chelsea in fourth. They're going to need a gap because they've got a, a very tough run-in. They have Crystal Palace at home this weekend. Then they have um, Southampton away, then Newcastle at home. But then it's Manchester United away, Chelsea away, Tottenham at home. That's their last three in the league. That's very, very tough. They've also got to fit the FA Cup final in their summer as well. But that's a very tough run of games for Leicester. And um, they're going to need to have a gap on the teams in fourth, fifth and sixth if they want to get top four for next year. Uh, so that's it. That is the games from last night. I have Guy Drinkle with me to talk about the games coming this weekend. Mr. Drinkle, how are you? I'm pretty good after a busy and strange week in football land. It has been one of the weirder weeks. Um, things that, that should have been top priority have just sort of gotten shoved to the side. Uh, Mourinho sacking, 
Ryan Mason taking charge at the age of 29, even if it's only a caretaker position, that's still incredible. The horrendous Champions League reforms, but no, no, no. All shouted down because of the the, the, the greedy six. Um, it is what it is. We move. We move every day. Right, Guy, we have, I believe, eight Premier League games and a cup final this weekend. So a busy weekend with some good games on the on the docket, as they say. Yeah, so it should be a should be a fun weekend. And um I mean you mentioned doing a bad job there. I'd probably say these two teams have kind of bottled the season to a certain degree, Arsenal v Everton. Um Everton were looking on course for top four at one point and kind of fell away, whether it's through injuries or whatever, but their home form's been terrible. They are at the Emirates, obviously, for this one. But and then mm. Arsenal who I don't know, just another stagnant season, I'd say. Very much another stagnant season with Arsenal. Their problem was through the first 14 games, they were just a mess. And nothing was working for them. And Arteta was stubbornly sticking to a 4-3-3 or a 3-4-3. And he was adamant he didn't want a number 10 in his team. That's why Mesut Ozil wasn't getting a game. And then all of a sudden he changed his mind, put Emile Smith-Rowe into the team. And they have been much, much better since. Much, much better since then. They only won four games out of the first 14. They've only lost, sorry, they've only lost four out of the next 18. They've properly turned their season around. Unfortunately for them, it just came much too late. They'd left too much of a gap to try and make up with the teams above them. So that's why they sit in ninth position. Now, a win here will put them above Everton into eighth. Everton will still have a game in hand. But, you know, top eight finish. They finished eighth last year. At least it's not a sign of regression, though they probably won't win a cup. They could win the Europa. It seems unlikely. They've got a tough road. Villarreal and then, you know, it could be United in the final and that'll be difficult for them. Um, Everton, yeah. And again, disappointing. Poor form recently. No wins in the last five. Uh, Only four wins from their last 12 against four defeats, four draws. So, I mean, that kind of sums up their season. Inconsistent. Four wins, four draws, four defeats. Um, It's the same thing for Arsenal. Arsenal have four wins, four draws, four defeats across the last 12 games. And again, that sort of sums them up. I would suggest that Arsenal are on a more upward trajectory than Everton. I would suggest that Everton through the first half of the season, were the better team. Through the second half of the season, they've definitely been worse. They have had injuries. That's been a major factor for Everton. But this weekend, they don't really have too many excuses. Gabaman is out. He's been out all season. He's likely not coming back this season. He was back in training. He got hurt again. It's just so unfortunate for the lad. He's had a horrendous two years since joining. Uh, Abdullah Dukure is out as well. Now, there's no return date on him, but you just don't know. Um, he's due to have a scan, I think, next weekend. So they're hoping he'll be back before the end of the season, but it's a wait-and-see type of thing. Um, other than that, they're fully fit. They've got everybody back. For Arsenal, Kieran Tierney's out. Lacazette is out. Odegaard is a, is a, is a doubt. Aubameyang, is, they think he's back in training today after his bout with malaria, but it's unlikely he'll feature. 
and David Luiz is making progress back from a knee surgery, still unlikely he'll play. Uh, that that's that one's probably a plus rather than a negative. Um, Arsenal's home form has been decent, not great, but decent. But Everton's away form has been quite good this season. Everton have been a much better team away from home mm-hmm. than they have been at home. Nine wins on the on the road as opposed to only five wins at Goodison. Um, to be fair, Arsenal actually have more wins away, but they have, you know, they, they've basically played played the same kind of game, same amount of games, lost the same amount of games. They've just won one one more away from home than they have at home. So their their form's kind of consistently inconsistent, home and away. Everton are definitely a much better away team than a home team. I think Calvert-Lewin will cause Arsenal major problems with his pace, his power and his movement. I think Richarlison will cause them problems. I think Everton win this game. I'm going to go 2-1 to Everton. Yeah, I was thinking similar as soon as I saw that it was at the Emirates. I think Everton probably become favourites. and I think we mentioned it maybe in a couple of weeks ago that if Rob Holden plays, he starts struggles in the air and Calvert-Lewin... Off the top of my head, probably the most dangerous striker in the air, barring like Andy Carroll, but he doesn't count nowadays. Yeah, Andy Carroll's kind of a you know a retired player at this point, um, doing the legend circuit. I think I think Calvert Lewin is. I'd be hard put. There's, there's probably better. There's probably strikers who are better in the air, away from goal, as in winning flick ons, things like that. Yeah, like Benteke'd be one for sure. But in front of goal, like heading on goal, I don't think there's anyone that touches Calvert-Lewin. I think he, he's in a class of his own in that regard. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably say, say the same as well. Um, that was the Friday game, so that's on Sky. Moving over to Saturday, um, we have Liverpool-Newcastle, which was once a classic fixture, Dave, but now I think this may be a boring one. Yeah, this was the game that gave us those two amazing four threes, but I don't see this been uh, an entertaining game of football. Newcastle are, well, of late they've been better to watch, but for the majority of the season they've been an assault on the eyes. Liverpool haven't been much better. Um, Liverpool are in better form now than they have been. They've won four of their last seven drawn one that's a massive improvement on the five defeats that came in the previous seven um liverpool's bad run of form really started with those draws against west brom and newcastle Mm -hmm. back at the end of december funnily enough newcastle's bad form all began around then as well a couple weeks earlier but um that they went in a run of five defeats after that that first game between the two sides. Yeah, every team that beat us got a good result to screw their season that time. Yes, yes. South, West Southampton Brom, lost like Southampton lost years. like forty six games in a row. <laughs> um, yeah, not not ideal. Um, Newcastle have won two games in a row. It's the only the second time all season they've done that. They're three games unbeaten in a row. That is also only the second time all season they've done that. I don't fancy Newcastle to extend that run 
they are without Jamal Lachelle's, Fabian Schaar, Ryan Fraser, Carl Darlow, and Isaac Hayden. So that's their best centre-back and their best holding midfielder missing. Probably their second best centre-back as well in, in Schaar. And then one of their creative players in Fraser. Now, he's missed a lot of the season, so I don't think it's a massive thing that, that he's out. St. Maximum is back. That's huge. Um, for Liverpool, Henderson's out. I don't know if we'll see him again this season. Curtis Jones could be back for this one. Nat Phillips could be back for this one. Matip is out. Gomez is out. Kelleher is out. Van Dijk is out. And Divock Origi is out with some sort of mysterious ailment. The The big concern for Liverpool will be St. Maximin. If he gets 1v1 against Nat Phillips, for example, that is going to get really ugly really quick. Uh, and Phillips is likely going to end up getting sent off for hocking him into the stands. But aside from that, I don't really see too much that Liverpool have to be worried about. The so I'm going to go... Wellington. Well, unless Alisson drops it onto his <laughs> foot from a foot out, I, I don't know. Um, no, I'm going to go home when... I'll go 3-1 to Liverpool. Yeah, I think we're definitely favourites. It just depends. Again, have we have we done enough to dispel the Anfield myth? I know we beat um, uh, Villa a couple of week, weeks ago, didn't we? And but it wasn't exactly a pretty game. But it will, it'll be interesting to see if, see if we can perform better at Anfield. And Newcastle, where are they? I mean, they're, are they pretty much safe now, Newcastle? Maybe one point? Yeah, they they probably need another point, maybe even two. But you know they're they're up to fifteenth. I I you know they might have eyes on on overtaking Southampton or Palace, yeah. um, and getting a little bit further up. That you know if they get that thirteenth spot, that might secure Steve Bruce another year in charge. Um, but like they just need Fulham to keep losing. As long as Fulham lose, mm. Newcastle are fine. Well, they've got two other teams below them as well, though, so that's fine. That's the thing. Plus, Newcastle know they have a safety net coming. They've got Sheffield United in the second to last game of the season, and then they've got Fulham in the last game. So worst case scenario, they're going to that Fulham game just needing to avoid defeat. And Fulham aren't exactly free scoring. So mm. Toon can probably just pack, park the bus and uh, and grind their way to a draw in that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say the same. I, I, don't, I doubt it'll even get that far. Um Next up then, West Ham uh, welcome Chelsea to the London Stadium. I almost forgot what their stadium was called. Um, I mean, it's a huge game in terms of the top four race, and obviously we just mentioned Liverpool there. They're in, they're in that as well. I mean, do you want to take this as a Liverpool, with your Liverpool hat on, or do you want to take it as a as a neutral? What what What's the result you'd want as a Liverpool fan? As a Liverpool fan, you want a draw. Like a draw is the is the result here that suits Liverpool more than anything. But as a neutral, you, you probably want West Ham to win because West Ham getting into the Champions League is more fun than Chelsea getting in. Um level on points after 32 games, it is testament to the fact that David Moyes has done a great job. Credit to Tuchel, he's done a really good job since taking over as well. West Ham's defence has been really poor of late. Like, really, really poor. Um, Over the last four games, 
they've conceded 10 goals. Now, luckily for them, they've been scoring a lot of goals, so they've only actually lost one of those games. They've taken seven points from the four. But it's the wrong part of the season for your defence to start having the shakes. Craig Dawson is going to be ruled out because he was he's suspended. He hasn't been good over the last few weeks. He's gone back to being the player we saw for Watford and West Brom. Um, no Declan Rice is massive. That is, that is a hammer blow for West Ham. West Ham's form last season picked up when Mark Noble was dropped. Mm. West Ham's form this season has started to, to, to wobble when Mark Noble's come back into the team. Mm-hmm. Um, Dawson is suspended. Cresswell is a doubt. Masuaka is a doubt. Lingard should be fit, but Rice is out and Mikel Antonio is out. So you're, you're holding midfielder and your number nine, both missing. One of your centre-backs gone, potentially another if Cresswell has gone and your left wing back. So that's a lot to overcome. Chelsea, obviously, very, very good defensively. Not so good going forward. Kovacic is out. Thiago Silva is expected to miss out with muscle fatigue. I assume that's just, you know, being old. Um, It's at the the London Stadium. I I still think Chelsea win. Just with with the recent issues I've seen with West Ham... Isn't Tuchel's record away record a lot better than his home record as well? Tuchel's, yeah, Tuchel's away record's really, really good. Um, so he took over for the Wolves game since the, that was at home. They're, they're, they're away game since. They beat Tottenham. They beat Sheffield United. They drew at Southampton. They beat Liverpool. They drew at Leeds. They walloped Crystal Palace last time out. Um, they beat Barnsley away from home in the FA Cup. And in the Champions League, obviously, they've they've beaten Atletico Madrid away from home and beaten Porto away from home. So, I mean, their only two defeats under him came at home. Uh, one of them a freak game against West Brom. The other one, the, the game against Porto, when it didn't actually matter if they lost, as long as they didn't lose by two goals. I, I think Chelsea win this game. I think they'll win it. I think it'll be tight. I think it'll be... Maybe not the most exciting game of football in the world. I'm going to say a 2-1 Chelsea win. Because obviously, Jesse Lingard is going to score. Of course. Because Jesse Lingard scores in every game. But yeah, I, I think that's... I think 2-1 Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd probably I'd probably agree with that. It just depends. If, I mean, West Ham have only been in mad games. Does that continue? But um, looking at Chelsea's attack, as you said, as you said it's inconsistent at best. I mean, what what would your three be? I mean, I know you're a fan of Kai Havertz as the nine. You mentioned Timo should... Uh, Werner should probably play, I mm. presume, left wing. And then... Pulisic could... right, yeah. Kai for the middle, and Werner off the left. That's what I would try. Mm. One of the reasons I would try it is Pulisic speaks fluent German. Mm. So he can communicate with the other two. Mm-hmm. One of the issues has been they haven't really settled in. They don't seem to have great communication mm. with the other players. But if you've got three players there that speak the same language, I think that can help. Mm. I only brought I up because think... I thought Ziyech and Werner seem to be starting somewhat of a relationship from the bits and bobs I've seen. Ziyech is a very good player, but mm. he's inconsistent. There's a reason he, he stayed in the Eredivisie so long. Now, he's also not a good fit in 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 4-3-3. Mm-hmm. 
or 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 three four three if you want to get Kai Havertz in the team mm. because those two have to play like either they both pl- either Kai plays right side which is where Ziyech plays or he plays through the middle mm-hmm. and you can't really get both of them in the team you can positionally but you're going to get a lot of overlap you're not getting much pace from either of them and you're going to get two players that are mostly cre- excuse me mostly creators and that only leaves one goal scorer in the team. Whereas with Pulisic, I think Pulisic has big potential to score quite a few goals with his pace and his dribbling. Um, I don't think the system is ideal for them. Like, it's working, obviously, and it's kind of the best way for Tuchel to get his structure and his his ideas into play. When when these players were signed, everybody thought it was automatic that this was going to work. That Zayic would play right wing, Pulisic would be left wing, Kai would be the 10, and Timo would be the 9. Nobody factored in that Kai has barely played as a 10 in his whole career. Timo's barely played as a 9 in his whole career. And that the areas that the players like to take up, when, when Timo plays, he drifts left. So him and Pulisic are going to run up against each other. That's all mm. your pace gone one side. What's Kai do? What does Kai do by nature? He drifts to the right-hand side to pick the ball up and come in on his left hand, his left foot. What does Zayic do? Picks the ball up and comes inside on his left foot. So they, the they were always... Work. <laughs> and the midfielders work because they don't have a pairing that really works. They have pairings that get by. Mm. But they don't have a pairing that works. Like, they've been using Mason Mount in a midfield too recently. I think that is where he will end up. But they need to find the right partner for him. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be somebody who's positionally excellent. It needs to be a defensive version of jo- of Jorginho. Mm-hmm. Like, if they bought Declan Rice, which is what Lampard had wanted to do, Lampard, uh, Rice and Mount is a pairing that I think would work really well. Because you'll get Rice's defensive discipline positional awareness, his ability to to pick a pass. He's very, very good on the ball. And then you get Mount going box to box, which is where Mason Mount excels. I think that's a pairing that would work. Now, by all accounts, the board at Chelsea weren't all that keen on Rice because they felt it would be a little bit of an embarrassment to have let the player go Mm. at 15 or whatever age he was released and then go spend 70 million to bring him back. Everybody laughed, obviously, at United when Pogba left. But Pogba left. United didn't let him go. Mm. Um, so it's not I, it's not the same situation. But I still think, look, if every club makes mistakes with players. Every club. But if you recognize that mistake and rectify that mistake, even if it costs you a bag of money, you've rectified the mistake. You've made up for it. Mm. And Chelsea have more bags of money than almost anybody. The only team with more bags in the Premier League is City. Maybe United, if you know, if the if the Glazers weren't sending it all over. We're actually bothered. Yeah, like if if they understood that, like this is this isn't just a bank, lads. This is actually a football club. <laughs> it didn't. Have, of, it didn't have to be right, though. That's the. That's the. It point. doesn't have to be right. No, no, no. There's 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 definitely a bunch of other options they could go and get. Like they could go and try and buy Douglas Louise from Villa this summer. Yeah, that's a good show. Yeah. He'd be a nice fit there. Um. You know, Calvin Phillips from Leeds yeah. would be a good fit there. But that's what if they if they get that, if they get that holding midfielder with James and Chilwell developing as wing backs, that's 
that part of the team sorted. Midfield and attack sorted in terms of your starters. And they've got loads of talent there in, in the likes of Tammy, uh, Callum hudson Adoy, Kovacic, um, do the fellow's name, Ali Giroud. All these players can then be squad players, can fit in, can be used in different ways. You can change the shape if you need to. You can go 4-2-3-1 at times and play Tammy up front with the front three just stepping back behind him and the wing-backs becoming full-backs and a centre-back dropping out. Now, again, you'd have to be patient with Kai in that situation. You'd have to allow him time to learn how to be a number 10. But I, I do think that's that's the way for them. And then they just need to sort that, that back line and goalkeeper. Like, it... The players they have are getting by, but they're not. None of them are standout players. Zoom is the best centre back at the club now, and he's still error prone. Christensen is the best communicator, but he has some flaws in his game. They need a left footed centre back without doubt for balance, and I would want a better goalkeeper than Mendy personally. Mm-hmm. But Chelsea are—they're not far away. They've got look. They've got the right manager, mm-hmm. and that's that's a big part of the battle. They've got the right manager, so. The talent is is largely there. It, you know, it, it is funny when you see players that they've let go over the years, like Nathan Aki, who would be perfect in the three four three as the left side centre back, who they had an option to bring back a couple of years ago and turned it down. Um, and again, Declan Rice, if if they had Aki and Rice, players they had in their academy, I think Chelsea would be challenging for the title next season without buying anybody this summer. Well, and just add on Lukaku, Salah, Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be all right, you know, <laughs> just be like, doing fine. Those three are the, are the kind of the spectacular, um, the spectacular versions of of the the Rice and Anaki mistakes. But look, it it is what it is. They're they're a club that I don't want to say they don't value players because clearly they do. But they're a club that it's easy come, easy go. Yeah. You know, the, the money is always going to be there as long as Roman is, is invested. So they can always afford to go and get another another player. It's it's just short-termism hampered them massively because, yeah, they would have they would have KDB, they would have Salah, they would have Lukaku, and, and that would be utterly terrifying for everybody. They'd have 20 Premier Leagues. Christ, <laughs> yeah. uh, that would be terrifying. Um, we'll move on to, God, can you get below zero goals in a game? Um, Sheffield United v Brighton. Um, I mean, Sheffield United are officially down now. Uh, Still trying to avoid that loss record, aren't they? And Brighton, how many points are they on? They're on 34, so probably one win away from safety. Yeah, I think a Brighton win this weekend probably keeps them safe. Um, and I, it's a win I expect them to get. Sheffield United, obviously, like you said, already gone. Um, a disastrous season. Five defeats in a row. Not looking like a team that are going to win a football match anytime soon. They they did give Wolves some problems and credit to them, but no, it it doesn't look it doesn't look good, and and Brighton are in a little bit better form. Um, just the one defeat in their last five. They've drawn their last two against Everton and Chelsea, so they, I mean they're good results for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they should have they probably should have beaten Chelsea. Um, Adam Lallana missing sitters. Um, the same thing against Brighton. They they missed a couple of good chances, but 
they are what they are. If they had a, a goal scorer, if they had, you know, one or two more players, they'd be top half without without a doubt for me. They're they're well managed. They're good defensively. They play really good football. They create a lot of chances. They just don't have anyone to score goals. And they're always carrying an empty shirt one way or another. Um I just don't see much chance for Sheffield United in this one. Now, ben White is out because he's suspended. Mm-hmm. So I imagine Veltman comes in, goes back into the back three for this one. Uh, Percy Tau is a doubt. And Doney is out. Solly March is out. And obviously Lamptey is out as well. Um, Sheffield United still missing Sander Berger. Ollie McBurney is out. Robinson is out. O'Connell is out. Sharp is out. Basham is out. Just... With the injuries they have, with the fact that they're already down, they've got nothing left to play for, only pride, and I think even that's out the gate at this point. I'm going to say that Brighton win a very dull game 1-0. I think it will be a bit of a stinker, unfortunately. It's the late game on Saturday as well, so it's a shame. Brighton will play good football. Sheffield United, to their credit, do try and play good football. The players aren't there, and I don't think their hearts are in it now. I think while they're leaving was such a massive gut punch to all of the players because he'd either brought them to the club or he'd elevated them far beyond the level they were ever capable of before. I think that's just been a massive blow for all of them. And, um, yeah, I think this is defeat number 27 as they close in on tying the Premier League record of 29, which, with six games to go, and a pretty tough run-in. Like, they've got Brighton. I think they'll lose. Tottenham away, that's a defeat. Crystal Palace at home, maybe you get a draw there. But Everton away is a defeat. I think Newcastle away will be a defeat as well. Because I think Toon will need to win that one just to be certain of staying up. And then Burnley at home on the last day. I, I don't see I don't see them uh, winning the game. And it's more likely that they lose than draw. So I think there's probably I think there's probably five defeats, maybe even all six. And they'll go down and they'll go down with a without even a whimper. They'll just slither down into the championship. And uh, you know, they'll have to try and start over. Luckily for them, all of their players have, have played so terribly this season. That nobody will want them, so they'll have them all. The only two likely to leave will be Sander Berger and Jack O'Connell, who escaped the stink purely by having been injured. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely the two that um, escaped criticism, as you say. Um, shall we do one more game before an ad break and get the boring one out of the way? Yeah, let's do this one and get. Yeah, let's do this one and then we'll uh, we'll go to the break. Um, yeah, this this one doesn't look particularly good either, does it? No, it does not. Wolves v Burnley. Um, Wolves literally have nothing to play for now, and Burnley, what? Probably one win. Mm, probably four points away from safety. Yeah, I I think so. And Burnley will grind it out. I mean, they're six points clear of Fulham with a game in hand. I I don't see any way that that Dyche lets that slip. He he'll find draws where he needs them. Um, like you say, Wolves, nothing to play for. They're, they're three points behind Villa. Uh, Villa have a game in hand. They're three points ahead of Palace. Palace have a game in hand. The only thing they're playing for really is to try and secure um, 11th or 12th. 
and, and not finish below that. Wolves have been desperate most of the season. They're just they've been really, really boring to watch. Um, which is massively disappointing considering the talent that's there. Uh, not helped now by the fact that Neto is done for a while. If that's a torn patella tendon, and it, it sounds like it is, I mean, that's career-altering. That really is career-altering. Um, Ruben Neves is out. He's got COVID. Fernando Marcal is out. He's been out most of the season. Uh, Raul Jimenez obviously remains out. That's been a big part of why they've been so poor. Mm-hmm. Johnny Otto is out. His knee is gone again. It's just, it's one thing after another with Wolves. I, I, if I was Nuno, if I was Wolves, I'd be looking to move on. Now, there's a lot of, lot of talk there. So yesterday, one of the, uh, the, the spoofers on Sky, um, who likes to pretend that he's an insider, you know, quotes all these CEOs and the board members said that nobody speaks to him. Nobody at all. He's a failed print journalist who's failing badly on television. Um, he said that he had heard from an unnamed source who probably doesn't exist, maybe it was Twitter, that uh, an executive at a top Premier League club had said that the owners were close to giving up. Uh, and he tried to make out that this was because of the Super League when he was talking about it on, on social media, but it's actually about Wolves. And... There's been a lot of talk that the Wolves owners are being pressured to sell by the Chinese government, that the Chinese government wants Chinese money brought home. They're offering massive tax breaks for you know people who bring their overseas investments back into their into their own economy. So, yeah, by all accounts, Wolves are, if not being heavily shopped, they're at least listening to offers or open to offers for the club. If that's the case, I mean, that's a hammer blow because they... They had really done incredible work for Wolves. Um, they'd been so, so important in, in what Wolves have been able to do. Like, they wouldn't have Mendes on board. They wouldn't have all these immense young players that they've got. Um, they wouldn't be, you know, morphing into the Portuguese national team. Um, Kit and all. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, yeah, the, 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 the spoofer on Sky um, trying to make out that it was about something to do with Super League. This this has been going on two months. I think they would be an attractive team to buy, though, because they've got 100%. an established team. And I mean, hundred percent. You've got a good manager. You've got really talented players. You've got established now in the Premier League, three seasons in. So you know, not newly promoted. You've got international players everywhere. If you're if you're a, an American investor, and I'd love it to be an American just to wind up, um, you know, the hypocrites. I think it would be the perfect club to buy, mm. genuinely, because the expectations aren't like no one expects Wolves to win the league. Wolves fans don't expect to win the league. Mm. You keep them, you know, on on the Europa League bubble um, every season, and they'll be happy enough. Like eventually, they'll probably want a bit more Champions League, mm. maybe once every five years or even every you know ten years. It probably do, but if you can. If you can continue the project and continue to to bring in you know players like Neto and Neves and and Jimenez and people like this, like, Wolves fans are absolutely delighted with this. Mm. I mean, how would you not be? Well, we know Saudis are interested in buying a football team. If that, Newcastle's obviously the primary one at the minute, and if these big clubs do eventually want to sell, they may want to go for a more established club. But Wolves have shown they can get, they're not far away from Europa League football. Well, Wolves are a much better team than Newcastle. Mm. 
Now, the, the, the big thing with Newcastle is, is they've got a bigger fan base, a bigger stadium. They're more of a draw. One city team. Yes. One, Whereas team. Wolves in the Midlands, a lot of competition there. Villa, Leicester, West Brom, uh, Birmingham, if they ever get their act together. A lot of competition in the Midlands. You go and you buy Newcastle, only only city in their or only club in their city. Now they do have local rivals, but that's a good thing as well. But at the moment, obviously Sunderland and and Borough are in the lower leagues, so there's no there's no threat to to a monopoly there. You can build Newcastle up and do very well. And you know, I I don't know, like. It, if it was me, I would rather buy Wolves than Newcastle, based on what I'm looking at now. I also think I also don't don't think there'd be much of a difference in the price, and yet I'm getting a team that I know are capable of top half in the Premier League. With Newcastle, like you're looking at serious investment into the playing side. Now it won't matter to Saudis, but if you're an American investor, if say if if someone similar to, to the, the lads that that the fellow that bought Villa. If he was interested and he was looking at it from a business standpoint, mm-hmm. you don't need a whole bunch of investment at Wolves. You need two to three players. You know, you've got the manager that that has worked. Maybe in a year you might look to change him, but at, at, at Newcastle, you have to get a new manager, which means paying off the existing guy. You need probably four starters straight away. To have a competitive team, you need to overhaul the academy system. The stadium probably needs quite a bit of upkeep. And you've got a whole bunch of messy situations going on then with leaseholds and different things around the stadium that are blocking any potential expansion. There's there's a lot of mess that goes with Newcastle. Whereas I don't think that's the case with Wolves. I think Wolves would be a far more clear-cut kind of project and deal I, I would go for Wolverhampton if, I, if it was me um, I just think it would make more sense plus the, the, the market and sells itself the gold standard all that kind of stuff people eat that nonsense up I, I would go Wolves personally yeah yeah um... as for this game yeah. <laughs> as for this game um, Burnley Nick Pope is Potentially back. Robbie Brady and Ashley Barnes are out. Wolves come into the game in okay form. They've won their last two games. and They were against Fulham and Sheffield United. But they would expect to beat Burnley. They they haven't been scoring enough goals. Um, They've only scored more than one once in the last five. Sorry, I tell a lie. Twice in the last ten. That's not enough. You need to be scoring more goals. They are conceding too many goals as well. Now, Burnley don't score a bunch. Burnley are conceding too many. They come in on the back of three defeats in a row. Um, three disappointing defeats as well because they were 2-0 up at Southampton, threw it away. They were 1-0 up over Newcastle, threw it away. And then the, the United game, they got back on, on level terms and then it, it all kind of fell apart in the last 10 minutes. I think Wolves win. I think I think at home... I just back Wolves to win this game, so I'll go Wolves in a in a dour one nil win, um, and that'll be the last the last game we'll do for now. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, hopefully, hopefully we'll have some more exciting games 
to talk about. If we don't, tweet your discontent at Guy Dringle. See you in a minute. Right, welcome back. Uh, I'm joined, of course, by Guy Drinkle, the official um, fixture maker for the Premier League. Uh, so we had a, a bunch of stinkers before the break. So here's hoping that Guy has some better games for us for the rest of the show. Yes, and my Twitter is at Two Footed Pod. Um, <laughs> that's where you can send your complaints for this one. Um, next up, we have Leeds v Man United, a, a classic rivalry, obviously. Um, uh, Man United's away form is obviously very good. Leeds, um, again, they're, they're not much to play for. I mean, obviously, it'd be great to. Uh, get above Arsenal potentially if they lose to Everton, um, and con- and stay in the top half of their first season. But again, it's not huge amounts to play for. So uh, United should be comfortable in this, really, shouldn't they? You would think so. But Leeds have played four of the big six at home this season: Manchester City, Arsenal, Chelsea, and Liverpool, and they've drawn all of them. Two nil nils, two one ones. For whatever reason, they just ramp it up even further against the big clubs. They don't really care that you're better than them or that you know you're perceived to be better or you're perceived to have better players. Leeds just turn it on against the good teams. And like they were very, very good in the second half against Liverpool. Um their form has been good of late. Five in a row without a defeat. Uh, including three wins on the bounce against Fulham, Sheffield United and Manchester City. Uh, Draws with Chelsea and Liverpool. So they're in good form. United, of course, are in really good form as well. Um, They've won five in a row. They're unbeaten since the 27th of January when they lost at home to Sheffield United. So both teams come in in good form. You, You are right, United's away form is definitely better than their home form. But I think Leeds will get a draw in this one, if I'm honest. I think this is 1-1 written all over it. United will be without um, Phil Jones and Anthony Martial. So Jones is not a loss because he hasn't played all season. But Martial is is an important player for them. Baye hopefully will be back. He, he's been out with COVID. Uh, Leeds have Liam Cooper suspended. Rodrigo is expected back. Rafinha looks like he's still going to miss out. That's a big blow, obviously. But it does mean they can get another worker in the team and make life difficult for United. Pervade looked a talent against us. He you, did he? look good, didn't he? When he mm. he 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 looks he looks a, a very good young player. Um, and Leeds just have a bunch of players that can fit in here, there, and everywhere. Like they're just one of those teams that they've they've shopped really well and they've brought in loads of players that can just be, you know. Put here, put there. Like Tyler Roberts can play in midfield, can play up front, can play out wide. Uh, Jack Harrison's the same. Helder Costa's the same. Paveda's the same. So even with Rafinha out, they have a bunch of different options. Um, and I think Bamford will cause United problems. I think his movement, the way he brings others into the game... His deceptive pace. I think Bamford will cause United problems. I'm going to go 1-1. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. I mean, 
I was almost thinking the title race was back on when City conceded in 10 seconds to, to Aston Villa. But they uh, they sorted that. But I, mean, I, know, I know what you're going to say, but miracle title win for Man United? So they're 11 points behind. They have six games left. United aren't winning all six in a row. So I think two more wins clears it for City. Mm. Now, obviously, United have a chance to gain ground here, but if United get a draw this weekend, then they're they're 10 points behind with five games to go. Like, it's just, it's too much. City aren't going to drop that many points between now and the end of the season. Even if City became inconsistent between now and the end of the season, like, you'd still back them to win three or five games. City's remaining league games are Crystal Palace away. We know the Hodge likes to roll over and have his belly tickled. Now, they've got Chelsea at home. That's a tough one. Newcastle away, Brighton away, and a guaranteed win over Everton, who always lose to Man City. So, I mean, it's not the easiest run in, but Palace, Newcastle, and Everton, I think, are guaranteed wins for them. I just don't see how they lose to any of those teams. Uh, Brighton could frustrate them and maybe get a draw off them. And Chelsea could beat them, but they'd still then have more than enough points to have the title wrapped up. I, I just don't see any opportunity. And it's not like United's run-in is, is very easy either. They've already penciled um, in 1-1 with us. Yeah, well, I mean, they've got a draw against us coming next weekend. Then they got Villa away. That'll be tough. Leicester at home, that's tough. Fulham at home, Fulham will probably be down by then, so that's a win. But then Wolves away on the last day of the season might not be the easiest game in the world. Now, they'll have nothing to play for, but they might just fancy, you know, causing a bit of an upset. Um, Maybe Pep will ring Nuno and say, look, you know, sort us out here and we'll we'll sort you with a nice player in the summer. We'll send you down someone that'll work well for you. Um. (laughs) Yeah, or, or look, or look, we'll we'll send down a big bag of money on, in the back of a truck, and uh, that'll that'll sort your summer budget. I I don't see any chance for United to be honest. I think they've still got the Europa League semi-finals coming up as well, so that's going to be a distraction. It would be really interesting to see how they manage because they go this game against Leeds Thursday night, then they've got Roma, then they've got Liverpool, and then they've got Roma again. So, like, do they potentially rest players for the Liverpool in, in, for the Liverpool game, knowing that that second leg away to Roma is coming up? If they do that, then that gives Liverpool a big advantage. Um, but look, their season could be could be defined by the next four games. If they were to lose to Leeds and Liverpool, the title will be over. Um, and then if they get knocked out by Roma, then that's done as well. Ollie will still get his new contract and people will still believe that Ed Woodward left over the Super League rather than the fact he was planning to leave anyway. Um, but yeah, big, big four games coming up for United. Next two weeks is going to define the season. See if Ollie can get over his semi-final curse. Um, next up then is the League Cup final, which is on at half four. Um... I mean, Man City have to be favourites. I mean, they probably would have been if even if Mourinho was still there, which is debatable whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, 
as League Cup is permanently put in marker that it's Man City have won the competition. I mean, is, is there much to talk about here? I mean, Man City should win this. The decent rest in between, um, squad strong as anything. A rookie manager against Pep Guardiola. Mm. They didn't. I know they won the other day, but they didn't exactly look great. And isn't Harry Kane a doubt still? Yeah. Um, for Spurs, injury wise, Kane is a doubt. Doherty is a doubt, and Ben Davies is out. For City, Stones is suspended, mm. and rightly so. What an absolute horror show of a tackle. He he had an absolute stinker, and he was. Dreadful against Leeds as well. People so people thought that was soft there. Oh, that was a shocker of a tackle. Mm. Anyone thinking it's soft needs to head examined. Now, it looks like De Bruyne will miss out for City. Mm. And unfortunately, it looks like Aguero is out as well. Which is a massive shame because Aguero... If you're picking an all-time League Cup... 11, Sergio Aguero is one of the starting strikers along with Ian Rush. I was just going to say it's the Man City team. <laughs> but this, this, this is the thing. This trophy is so overlooked and it's largely because of you know people like Jurgen Klopp thinking it's below them to bother their arse with this. But this is, a, this is a great cup. It really is a great cup. This has been going for 61 years. Right? And People say, oh, well, the big co- big clubs don't care about it. Well, they've won over 50% of them. Liverpool have won eight. City have won seven. United have five. Chelsea have five. Spurs have four. And Arsenal have two. So the, the, the big clubs have cared about this and do care about this. Mourinho has won this competition three times. This would have been his fourth is an attempt at his fourth. Hmm. Wasn't he won it for Mourinho. It was their first cup finals at Liverpool. Yeah, oh four, oh five, yeah. right? What else did Chelsea do that year? Won the league. Oh five, oh six. What else did Chelsea do? Won the league. He won it with United. Sorry, he won it again with Chelsea in fourteen, fifteen. Mm-hmm. Won the league. Actually, I'm wrong. This would have been his attempt to win a fifth one because he won three with Chelsea across his two spells. Then he won it with United and then went on and won the Europa League. Now, he wasn't going to win anything else with Spurs this year, but he has always, when he's been in an English job, used this competition as a springboard onto something else. And it's possible that getting the the 13-year wait for silverware over and done with, building momentum, convincing Harry Kane, look, you can win stuff here. That could have me- meant that Spurs were able to go on and do better next year and and maybe win an FA Cup or, or challenge for a title. They have the talent to do it. They've got they've got wonderful players in that Spurs squad. So like big clubs have cared about this. Man City have won this competition five times in the last seven of the, of the last seven. This will be six of eight if they win it this year. Like they have cared about this. Aguero and Fernandinho have both won five medals. David Silva won five as well. Obviously, he won't be around for this one. If they win this weekend, they'll go level with Liverpool in terms of most wins in a row. Oh, sorry, sorry, most overall wins. And they'd go level with Liverpool in terms of most wins in a row because this would be 
uh, win number four in a row, matching Liverpool from the early 80s. If you look at the last seven years of this competition, it's either been won by Man City or Jose Mourinho. Mm. So nobody can tell me that big clubs don't care about it. Is Swansea the only surprise in the last decade or so? So Birmingham won it 10 ah, years. Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, Birmingham won it in 2000, 2011. That's against Arsenal, I don't count. Swansea won it in 2013. But like, there's other clubs where like this has been maybe the high point in their entire club's history. Your local club, Borough, mm. the only silverware they've ever won, major oh, silverware. It, it, it's massive. It's massive around here. Yeah. You know? Luton yeah. in, in 88 beating Arsenal. Um, like Nobody's going to say that West Brom winning it in 66 wasn't a big deal for them. QPR in 67. Uh, Leeds in '68. It was part of what what led on to that, you know, that great Don Revy team. Well, you think Stoke in '72. You think of Borough and what that led to. That was two Euro, uh, UEFA Cup runs. That, that's what that led. Exactly. To. You know, like it, it is. It is a trophy that can be a real springboard. Like you look at Nottingham Forest have won it four times, '78 and '79. Well, they also won a league title and two European Cups in that spell. You know, it, it was like a springboard for them to go and do that. They won it twice more than 89 and 90. That, that's Brian Clough's legacy. The league title, the two European Cups, and these four trophies. That's his legacy at Forest. And these are every bit as important because of what they would lead on to. Like, it has been a massively important thing. Like, for Leicester, when they won it in 97... And then again in 2000, after a 30-year wait for real success, Oxford winning it in 86. And like the thing is, for, for, for clubs like Luton and Oxford and Swindon and Sheffield Wednesday, maybe it's the... like Luton, uh, Swindon got into the Premier League. That's the last kind of great moment for them you know, at the highest level. They obviously had good moments since. But for, say, a club like Luton or Oxford, who've gone really close at different times to going out of business this is a way to look back and think do you remember when we were really good do you remember when football stopped and looked at us we were the centre of attention that day, that weekend we were the centre of attention and like that's something for fans to cling to, that's something to remember when things are bad for your club Birmingham, Birmingham have been through absolute turmoil for the last decade, going down, almost going bust, new owners go, almost going bust again, Harry Redknapp, all kinds of madness. But they <laughs> can Redknapp. think back and remember that that League Cup win in 2011 and think, do you remember when we did that? Do you remember when we did that and we got into Europe? We were a championship team in Europe. Like, that, it, that's amazing. And like I say, Liverpool have won it eight times. It's an enormous part of Liverpool's history. It's a massive part of Bob Paisley's legacy. And it, it really annoys me every single year when Jurgen Klopp disrespects the, this cup like that. Really annoys me every single year. This, this is the easier... I'd say easy. This is the less challenging on the schedule domestic cup to win. Yeah, because it's, it's over early. Yeah. Now, this year it's obviously late. This year it's April. Normally this competition ends in February. Mm. But... It it really does bother me. Like if if I see Pep and Mourinho 
two guys who've won absolutely everything multi- and won everything multiple times and they care so much about it. I don't understand how anyone else could look at it and think, nah, not for me. Not for me. Mm. Like Villa, five-time winners. Big, big deal in their history. Like, they obviously won, you know, some league titles. They won uh, a European Cup in the early 80s. But in the last 30 years, those two league cups in 94 and 96, that's the success that they've had. And when they were going through horrendous ownership, you know, then a, a, some that chancer bought them, that will have been getting relegated, all that kind of stuff. That will have been something that their fans, the older generation, would have looked back on and thought, do you remember that? Like, for, for me, right, I think back to 95, Steve McManaman, the McManaman final against, against Bolton, and he won it by himself. Oh, one part of that incredible treble that that springboarded us onto that incredible treble 03 beating united in the final and 2012 silverware under kenny the first trophy we'd won since 2006 fa cup six years without a trophy and we went from that league cup until we won the champions league in 2019 seven full years without any silverware and that meant something to me so like don't tell me this doesn't mean anything it means it means a lot this is a very important competition and while i can fully understand that the big six or or clubs in europe maybe and 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 this is will be my compromise because people are saying oh we should probably get rid of it and open up some more dates take the teams in europe out of this competition and that can be the compromise if you're in europe you don't have to play in the league cup you can choose to, but you don't have to. You're not obligated to. So Liverpool don't have to because Klopp doesn't value it. Um, Arsenal don't have to, whoever else. But the rest can if they want, and everybody else will play in it. Mm-hmm. And it, it opens it up then. And maybe we'll see Aston Villa win it again, or we, we could see Leicester win it again, or, or Norwich, or Birmingham, or Wolves. Or I think that would help sell the Europa Conference Vanarama as well. Because a new, new new team's experience in Europe, that is something to look That's at. That's the thing. That is the thing. Exactly. And like, you know, the, 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 the reward for winning this is a place in Europe. So say, for example, like Wolves in the season that they're having. Mm. If, if they could have won this competition, that would be Europe for next season. But, you know, it could be for anybody else either. It could be a path to Europe for Southampton. It could be, and like by taking out the teams already in Europe, you're you're obviously always taking out the top four as well. So it's not going to be a thing like you'll get an underdog and then just get walloped in the final. You'll get two relatively well balanced teams and a good game of football in the final. For me, that would be my solution to saving this competition: take the teams in Europe and just let them step out of it. They still have to pay, play in the FA Cup, but not in this. In this, they get a pass. They can go and do whatever else they want. But this competition needs to be kept, needs to be maintained. Like, one of the things I suppose that people have used to disparage it is it's changed names so many times because it's been given the sponsor's name. So it was the Milk Cup 
It was the Littlewoods Cup. It was the Rumbelows Cup, the Coca-Cola Cup, the Worthington Cup, the Carling Cup, the Capital One Cup, and now the Carabao Cup or the EFL Cup. But it, it's always just the League Cup. It is always just the League Cup. And it's a cool little trophy. And back in the day, rather than give out medals, they used to give out little tankers, like <laughs> like a little uh, silver milk jug type thing. That's like what it was we just, need. Oh, wait, Craven So you... Sorry, Put it on a chain, slap it around their neck, and send them out. <laughs> I do. I do still call it the Carling Cup. That's what I grew up with. But yeah, that's and that's the thing. Like, so for everybody, depending on what era you grew up in, you call it. Most people still call it by whatever that mm. name is. Like, I know people that still call it the Milk Cup, yeah, but it I hasn't do, been the Milk Cup since '86. Do you know? But for me, I, I want to see this this competition maintained. I think it is important. I'm I'm hoping for a, a Chelsea uh, for a a Tottenham win this weekend because I just think it'd be really good to see them break their duck, get 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 over the hump of not having won anything for years. It'd also be quite cool for twenty nine year old manager to win a trophy so so soon. Um, but also a little bit of indication for Mourinho. Um, but I expect City to win. I, I think City will win this game three one. Yeah, I think City are the favourites. You meant you mentioned how many they've won in a row and the success on the. Well, since the new owners and, and Pep takes it seriously, obviously. So, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, We've got a derby up next. Midlands derby. Villa-West Brom. I think West Brom pretty much done after their little spell of form. And Villa, again, not loads to play for. Even in a shot where... I mean, they're probably apes their ceiling, really. Does that get the Vanarama? I don't think it does, does it? No, I think they have to finish. I think it's seventh, but... If if City win this cup, I think then that place goes to the league. Right. And then I think the same with the FA Cup. And obviously both both FA Cup finalists are already mm-hmm. in the European places. So I think it probably will in the end. I think eighth will probably get uh get that conference league thing. So um Villa come into this game in, in poor form. One win from the last seven. That was against Fulham. Only two wins from the last ten. I don't think people have played paid close enough attention to how poor Villa have been since the turn of the year. Like, they've only won five times from 17 games. They've lost nine of those 17. It's been a dreadful run for Villa. Um, it's It's basically... If you include, say, the last two games of last year to give them 19, so half a season, they've won six and drawn four. So, I mean, that's that's 22 points from half a season. It's 44 points over the course of the year. So it's not relegation form, but it's not far off it. It's a couple of defeats here and there off relegation form. Um, They've got West Brom, Villa. Uh, sorry, they've got West Brom, Everton twice to come. United, Palace, Tottenham, and Chelsea. So they've got a tough run in. Mm, that's not great. And like, I, I do think we will get the point when you take out the the win and the draw in the last two games before um, the turn of the year. I think Villa will have a nineteen game stretch at some point where it is relegation form. And that's a concern given how much money they've invested. They were very, very good through the first 14 games of the season. 
but they've been really, really bad since. And it's not all just down to Jack Grealish because they were bad with him in the team as well. Um, Matty Cash is suspended. Wesley is still on his, you know, comeback from injury. Uh, Grealish is out. Sanson is out. And Trezeguet is out, obviously, that, that injury. He's probably done for the season. The injury suffered against Liverpool. Uh, West Brom look like they're as good as down. Uh, Branislav Ivanovic is pretty much, I think, done for the season. They're in... I mean, they had been in, in OK for... They won two games in a row. They'd won three of eight. Um, they'd only lost two in eight as well. So they were in a, a decent run of form from mid-February until they got uh, tonked by Leicester last night. I don't see them getting anything from this game, if I'm honest. I think Villa will win it. I don't think it'll be a pretty game of football. But I think Ollie Watkins will prove too much for that West Brom backline, which has just been a shambles all year. I'll go Villa 2 0. Yeah, I could I could certainly see that. Uh, I forgot to mention Wolves Burnley is on B, uh, on BBC, so BBC getting the fun games as usual. <laughs> um, uh, last game of the weekend is on Monday, and we have Leicester v Palace. Um. There's been question about because they had a little blip and the Leicester may bottle it again. Obviously battered uh, West Brom last night and Palace again. Nothing to play for. Roy's happy. The safe. Uh, Leicester should surely win this, shouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. You would expect Leicester to win this game. Um, Palace obviously lost last time out to Chelsea, but before that they'd only had one defeat in six. So it's only it only is it is only two defeats in seven. Hodgie will class that as, as good form, um, despite the fact there's only been two wins in there. Um, Leicester, yeah, the, you know, losing to City, losing to West Ham, form had been a little bit shaky. It's now it's three wins in seven. It's not great, but it is something of a turnaround. Now, the wins were Brighton, Sheffield United, and West Brom. So teams you would absolutely expect them to beat. But you would expect them to beat Crystal Palace as well, especially at home. They have a tough run in. They're going to need to get as many points on the board as possible before those last three games. I would expect them to get points this weekend, without doubt. Palace, I think everybody's injured at this point. Michi's uh, on it. Michi's, um, oh no, Michi's back because he couldn't yeah, play against he was, he was Chelsea because really he's, yeah. he's owned by Chelsea. He wasn't actually injured. Jeffrey Schlupp should be back. Gary Cahill is a doubt. Sacco is out. Klein is a doubt. Tompkins is out. MacArthur is out. Wickham is out. And Ferguson remains out. So that's, I mean, it's a, they have had such a bad run with I did, this year. I did see Sacco and Tompkins are back in training just in time for the season to finish. <laughs> yeah, that'll be standard. They'll probably get injured before then. Yeah. Um, Harvey Barnes and James Justin are still out for. Leicester, but aside from that, everybody's fit. So this is probably the best injury situation Rodgers has had all season. Uh, they've been obviously very unfortunate. Now, you know, it is Ramadan, so they do have one or two players who are fasting, uh, in particular Fafana, who was taken off to the day. So it'll be interesting to see how Brendan manages that, whether he sticks with the back three or maybe leaves Fafana out and goes with a back four. You'd expect Leicester to win the game comfortably. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that Leicester win this one 3-1. Yeah, I can't see it being the most fun game on a Monday night. Um, 
But that, yeah, that's the last game. That is it. That is our games for this weekend. So we've got Arsenal-Everton tonight, Liverpool-Newcastle, West Ham-Chelsea and Sheffield United versus Brighton on Saturday. Wolves-Burnley, Leeds versus Manchester United, Aston Villa versus West Brom and, of course, the EFL Cup Final all on Sunday and then Monday it is Leicester versus Palace. There's some really good games in there. Um, there's some that maybe not so good, but I I do think there's going to be uh, some fun games. I think there'll be some goals in, in a couple of them, and I think you know, it, I think Leeds will be. I think Leeds are the team to watch this weekend because United walloped them at Old Trafford. I think Leeds will will really want to stick it up to them, and like I say, they're still unbeaten at home against the big six. So we'll we'll see how that goes. And that's it. That is the show. Thank you to Guy. Thank you to Fox Haunt. Thank you to you for listening. Uh, do have a good weekend and stay safe. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.